0: welcome ladies and gentlemen to season two of the just capable podcast in episode one i interviewed david mclaren who's a outdoor videographer and photographer for animal wildlife in asia and south africa and he's going to share with us his exciting life in this new career endeavor Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode one of season two with David McLaren. David, one question I'd like to ask you as we start things off is: what inspired you to get into wildlife photography and documentation?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Was was one of those things that I kind of been in and out of most of my life. My, my dad was a photographer; um, always had a always had a camera on him when we were younger. Um, documented family trips, things like that. Uh, he had a dark room in his. Uh, half of our garage was a dark room, so you know it was around photography early on, um, but it was never, never really a, much of a passion of mine. And then when I graduated from university, I moved to China for a couple of years and taught English over there. Started traveling around uh, during my my free time, and uh, yeah, picked up a camera to kind of document that, and then that's when I I started to really kind of fall in love with the the art of photography. Um, but it was more focused on cultural cultural stuff, uh, cultural photography, people photography, um, landscapes, things like that. So the wildlife was not really at the time. And then I came back to the States and got into a business, which I'm sure we'll touch on um, at some point, but decided to make some big life changes. And that took me, um, it got me into a life of traveling again and uh, picked up a camera again after a lot of downtime and, and a lot of time not really focusing on it, and um, decided I wanted to spend more time behind the lens. Um, and um, again, my, my net was kind of wide. I was taking pictures of everything, um, anything I could. Landscape was a primary focus, but um, started to dive a little bit more into wildlife um, in Sri Lanka in 2017. So I just happened to go on a safari, um, kind of fell in love with it there. Um, and yeah, out of the two months I was there, I think I went on like 15 days of safaris, just could not get enough of it. And, uh, and, and what I realized with wildlife, um, and, and those moments out in, um, you know, spent in their habitat and their environment, um, for me, it wasn't so much about checking off seeing a leopard or checking off seeing an elephant. It was about spending time. Um, with these animals and, and watching and observing behavior and, and watching, you know, connections between, um, between mothers and their, their, their young ones or predators and prey, um, uh, things like that. And, and, you know, the more I started to understand that, uh, the more I was able to observe that, um, the more, uh, passionate I became about capturing those moments and documenting them, um. And um, so it's kind of taken off from there, to be honest with you.
0: Well, was this the first time that you were able to connect with nature or, you know, as I, as I remember, you were very much all about the outdoors when I knew you here in Austin. Did you learn that as a child growing up or did your father introduce you to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that's, you're exactly right. Um, the, um, I I definitely grew up in the outdoors. I mean, I I grew up coming down, I'm, I'm sitting here at the, Uh, on the texas coast at the moment and um but i grew up coming down to the coast with with my family um spent a lot of time on the on out on the boat fishing spent a lot of time at the beach um when we were closer to home in san antonio you know we'd spend time at the rivers and lakes and areas around there and then you know as a kid i i wasn't one of those kids that spent time playing video games i was always outside i was always getting dirty um always in the mud that sort of thing and so um yeah my love for the outdoors has kind of been ongoing i think the um and and really love for wildlife i mean coming down to the coast is the texas coast is a prime example of that um you know going out fishing for me was not always just about fishing it was about um you know sitting there and watching the dolphins roll you know roll through the channel um and then and watching the bird life and i mean everything around you uh, down here is, is, is very special. So those moments fishing were, were bigger than just fishing moments when, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, the, the link to photography is what happened later in life. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I guess it just took a little longer than, than it should have maybe for, for those two things to, to converge. But, um, but yeah, no, no, it's been a, been an ongoing thing for me for sure. It's so I, I think it's kind of a two-part answer. Um and just a little bit of maybe background on, on, on the business I was in. Um, I, I came, when I came back from living in China um, and that was a, a, a two year experience for me, I joined um, my dad's business and, and we were involved in selling, brokering the sell dental practices. So, you know, certainly wasn't something that uh, as a kid, you're, you know, you grew up expecting to get into. Um, but for me, it was, it was a way to get my, to get settled back in the States after being, abroad for two years. And so, um, I kind of jumped into that and, um, what was meant to be maybe a, a six month to a year thing turned into, um, me buying the business from my dad with a, with another, with another, uh, with my, my former business partner, um, about four years in and then him and I continued to run the business for another six, roughly six years. Um, and so, uh, during that time, um, one of the things that I noticed changing in my life uh, mm-hmm. as the business grew um, was really um, this, this inability, um, or I guess you could say this, um, as the business got busier and busier, I had less and less time to do the things outside of work that I, that I truly had a passion for. Uh, at the time, those things were and continue to be photography, fishing, traveling, um, hiking, um, you know, those sorts of things that, that I grew up doing. Um, and so as I, I got um, further and deeper into that business, and it was roughly 2015 and 16, um, I, I kind of realized that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Um, even though we were successful financially, the business is growing. It just got to a point for me where it was, um, uh, it, it was, it felt soul sucking. Um, I didn't have an outlet outside of work. Two years of my business, 2015, 2016. Um, from the, I, I recognized that I was, um, completely burned out. Uh, I didn't have an outlet outside of work and, um, again even though the business was successful it just felt it felt soul sucking uh it felt like it was draining kind of draining the life out of me to an extent um so in 2016 um i took a, a trip with a few friends down to belize uh, uh specifically to go fly fishing for tarpon permit uh and bonefish and um during that trip i something i remember a moment on the boat ride out to the lodge where i i had this almost aha moment where it was kind of like what am i what am i doing <laughs> why am i continuing to do to do this why, why am i continuing to work in a business that i that i don't enjoy at all um and the answer to that was it's purely financial there there was nothing beyond the financial gain of the business that was keeping me in it um and so that aha moment was almost like look i I can make a change and I need to make a change. And so over the next few days in Belize, it was a reconnection to, um, you know, to, to nature, to, to the things that I enjoy being outside, um, to traveling and experience other cultures. Um, and, and from that trip on, it kind of became uh, about figuring out the, the best way to, to lead the business, um, the best way to, um, Exit a business where I have a business partner. We we have deals ongoing. We have it wasn't just as simple as me putting a two week notice in. So um, that became more of my focus. And at the end of 2016, I had a conversation with my business partner, and we um, he he was um, he was gracious enough and went out of his way to make the make my transition out of the business as easy as possible. Um, and as mutually beneficial as possible, so that allowed that allowed me to close out my remaining deals. And by the middle of 2017, I was um, on a plane to well, I started in Canada visiting my sister, and then on a plane to Iceland for a month, and then back to Southeast Asia where I spent time traveling while I was living in China. But um, spent a month in Vietnam been a month and a half in Cambodia and then two months in, in Sri Lanka. And um, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a specific goal of um, I, I need to turn photography into a, into a business or a career. Um, I just, I had time on my side. Um, I had saved up, um, you know, enough money to make this work for a bit. And I just decided I wanted to go with the camera and take photos and not have pressure to turn it into anything, uh, just enjoy it and and kind of see where it went, see what aspects of photography I, I really was passionate about um, versus the ones that felt felt forced. Wildlife was kind of secondary uh, in terms of photography, even though it was something I, was, I loved and I was passionate about, it just wasn't a thing photography-wise at that point. And I was more interested in, again, culture, people, and landscape. And yeah, but I, I left my, I left my kind of net wide, and and um, again, once I started getting into wildlife photography, it kind of took off from there in terms of uh, being a bit of an obsession for me. So, um, yeah, but that Belize trip was certainly a catalyst. It was, it was kind of that aha moment that had been building for uh, probably the previous year. Uh, At that time, while I was in the business,
0: yeah, I've lived abroad for extended periods of time myself. And one of the things I was curious about for you, when you make such a big change and you start getting out of your comfort zone, did you have to relearn who you were and get to know yourself again? Because we get kind of out of touch with our consciousness when we're in the rat race. And when you get out and you have time to, you know, meditate, time to like work on the things that are your that are. Not only your dream project, but many people's dream project. I would I would argue that you were living a life that many people dream about and never actually go out and do. So did you have to reacquaint yourself with who you are and what you're about during this trip?
1: Prior to leaving, I, I had spent about a year, year and a half trying to figure out how do I make this business work within my life. And in doing so, I spent a lot of time on, um, on looking at kind of who I I guess, who I wanted to be, <laughs> or who I thought I was really. And, and, and then looking at the actual, you know, my actual behavior and the person that I I really was. And so I think one of the things that, that I, I realized is there's a definite misalignment in what I, you know, how I viewed myself being and how I wanted to be versus, what I was being. And, um, so I already had an idea of that disconnect when I left, left the business. Um, I certainly think that there was a time frame traveling where, uh, I, and, and I, like in Cambodia, one of my, one of my big things was uh, I did a meditation yoga retreat, um, didn't really have expectations going into it, but, but those sorts of things I tried to, I, I certainly tried to focus on and, um, take my time figuring out, um, you know, again, figuring out what what my next steps were. what what sort of life did I want to leave? What are the things that I, what are the things that I prioritize and, and how do I make sure that those priorities stay front and center and not get pushed aside like they did during during the last few years of my business? Um, I, I think that was probably the hardest part for me was the fact that, Um, you know, during the last couple of years, I I was so, so focused on the business that I feel like relationships probably suffered. Um, Even when I was spending time with family, uh, I don't think I was 100% present um, because I was always either worried about (laughs) or stressed about the business or, um, or it was just on my mind constantly. So I think it was just, you know, figuring out a way to take very deliberate conscious steps towards doing what I wanted to do moving forward. And that's why I didn't put pressure on myself with photography. I didn't say you have to be a photographer and you, or you have to be a, 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 you know, a, a wildlife filmmaker that, that wasn't, that wasn't the mindset at all. It was, it was more about, um, these deliberate steps, making sure that I wasn't backing myself into a corner that was difficult to get out of. And then, as I started to figure out more and more the things that I, I I'm passionate about and that I prioritize, how do you build around those things, or how do you how do you prioritize those things? And so, um, I'm certainly not there, uh, but but it's it's certainly more of a um, you know top of mind thing for me. Um, I used to I think one of the, one of the biggest shifts for me leaving the business, and this you mentioned the rat race. Um, one of the biggest things was, I mean, my focus had been money. And I think a lot of us are tie six, tie success to how much you earn. Um, and for me, that became so much a part of my identity that unraveling that and recognizing that those things are not certainly earning a living is, is important. Um, building, I'm not downplaying that side of it, but, but when it becomes everything, when it becomes your sole focus, um, there are costs to that, and for me, the cost was, um, again, in relationships. It was in my personal well-being, and it was in neglecting passions that I that I had previous to to, to things getting kind of out of hand for me with with the business. So, um, yeah, sorry for the rambling answer, but hopefully that kind of <laughs> that kind of covers it a bit.
0: That actually was not a rambling answer. I felt that was a very concise answer, actually. And uh one thing I wanted to ask you while you were in Canada and Iceland and you were working on your craft did you feel like at first you're like I don't know about this I'm kind of second guessing my decision but then I noticed to me like through our group of friends and everyone I felt like once you reached Vietnam you kind of hit your stride just in like you know casually talking with friends about what you were doing where where do you think you hit your stride where you were like I'm on this, I I'm getting better and I'm making progress.
1: Um, I don't know that there was a single moment. I, I think, I think, I think for me, part of it was, um, it, it was, it was enjoying, honestly, it was enjoying the, the process. Um, I, 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 by taking, you know, by taking pressure off myself and not saying, look, I have to be this, I have to have this level of success or I have to, you know, I have to be here in two months, more a matter of just get better than you were, get better, get a little bit better every day, you know, keep keep kind of grinding away um, every day and grinds the wrong word because it's enjoy It's not grinding. It's, it's, it's enjoyable, but, um, but that, that, continu- that continuous process of, you know, going out and shooting of, of editing of, you know, of, of, um kind of listening to myself and figuring out what styles of photography i enjoy um, that that process over the course of those first few months of travel um you know vietnam certainly was i mean iceland iceland definitely was um a kicking off point um i, I went with my best friend um we spent a uh, he, he spent a few weeks with me but i spent about a month over there and so working with him uh, and, and shooting with him definitely was was a big part of it and, and so being surrounded by somebody else that enjoys it was was helpful but um yeah, I think in Vietnam and Cambodia, the biggest things I learned uh, or recognized was really that i that i didn 't want to focus on a certain style of photography and then in sri lanka to me that 's probably when it really kicked off um, and I said, you know I realized wildlife this is this is what I this is what I really want to do um, and and spend time on yeah. I didn't have an answer for I didn't have an answer for what that would look like I didn't have a direction for what that would look like um, i I just knew that that's where I wanted to spend more of my time I wanted to prioritize that as something that was that was important to me and that I wanted to focus on and if I can turn this into making a career out of it then then great um, but but that was really the, those two months is really when I realized yeah, I can go spend twelve hours in a vehicle watching animals and 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 shooting them. That's that's um that that does not get old and it still is not old to this day. So And just and to I, clarify, I when you when you say old.
0: shooting, you re you really mean photography.
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to get a bunch of You mean photography. Yeah, let's clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Docu- documenting. Let's just say documenting wildlife. Thank you. Um Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, no, that, that was really the moment. And then, and then, um, from there, when I got back to the States in, um, at the beginning of 2018, um, really my, my, my plan was to, you know, to try to figure out where I wanted to go next and, um, who are the people in those, in that, in those places that I would travel to next that I wanted to try to meet and surround myself with. Uh, meaning what photographers are better are, are at points in their career where I eventually want to be. And how do I meet these people and how do I learn from them? And how do I, you know, how how do I, how do I surround myself with the right, how do I surround myself with the people that are going to help me take these, these next steps? Um, And uh, yeah. And that, to work out relatively, <laughs> relatively well, um, by blind luck, uh, to an extent, but that worked out pretty well. So, uh, but I think Sri Lanka was that kicking off point where I realized, okay, I I've got the, you know, I've got, I've got an eye for it. Now it's just try to put put the other pieces of the puzzle together.
0: Well, before we go into the people you met, I want to hear the story of this leopard that you were trying to photograph while you were there.
1: Are you talking about in Sri Lanka? Yes, yes. Um, on which leopard you're talking about, uh, there's just quite a few of them in Sri Lanka. Um, well,
0: tell me about the one you enjoyed the most, because there's something to trying to find a creature in a jungle that is not easy to spot and or for to- or photograph.
1: Yeah. So no, no, that's 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 very true. I mean, I. And I, again, this is where, and so the, the first place I ever went on a safari was in north, like northwestern Sri Lanka. So it's a, it's a national park called Wilpatu National Park. Um, and it's, it's kind of the, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, but it's definitely off the beaten path again, uh, compared to um, some of the other parks there. Yala National Park, is, which is in the south just tends to be the more popular one. Um, it's, you know, high leopard density, but, but leopards, that are relatively habituated. So they're, they're pretty comfortable around vehicles. Um, don't spook easily when, when the vehicle's around them. Um, but I just happened to go to Wilpatu and that was my, that was my first stop. Um, and so uh, again, went into it with very little in the way of expectations for what that would look like. Um, I knew I wanted to see a leopard, um, I figured I would at some point, but, but again, you you know, you never know with these things you can't, you can't control, can't control wildlife. Um, But I would have to say my, (laughs) I I went out with a couple uh, the first couple of days of of safari, uh, of these safari drives and um, just a couple, I, I I met at the lodge and um, we, we were kind of joking about the, this sort of scenario we would love to see a leopard in. And and of course it's exaggerating the the situation, almost to the point where it's, um, almost to the point where it's unbelievable. And um, we spent the first, I guess the first full day looking, uh, it's raining the whole day, Um, not not great conditions for game viewing. Um, And I think it was the second morning um, where we happened around this, around this bend, And, um, and in, in the middle of the road was this, was the, was this male leopard and I actually have to pull up his name, but, um, was this male, male leopard that, that the guides loved that was, um, that was, uh, well known within that park because of how comfortable he was around vehicles. And he was very, very nonchalant uh, about having, having us nearby, um, for the first 15 or 20 minutes or so we sat with him and just, and it was just us in a park where usually there's a dozen vehicles at a siding. We, we were just fortunate enough to round the bin and have him sitting in our path, um, sitting there, taking photos of him. And then he gets, he hears a noise, uh, off in the distance and he gets up and starts stalking and, and walking down the trail. And we, we followed him along. Uh, he obviously had heard something that he was interested in. I think it was, um, I think it was spotted deer that was, that was there that he had, that he had, he had seen cross the road or heard that rustling about. Um, but the scenario that we had, uh, <laughs> that we had made up in our head, uh, the day before involved, uh, multiple leopards and an eagle flying over them and just this insane sort of, sort of scenario. Um, so as this leopard starts stalking these deer, he, he gets in more of a trot and then bolts off running. Well, as he runs, he spooks these deer and goes one way, and then from the other direction, a second leopard runs out, crosses the road, goes goes in chase of them as well. As a, I believe it was a crested hawk eagle flies across the road as well. So it wasn't exactly what we had planned or what we had hoped for, but it was uh, it was pretty damn impressive for a first leopard sighting. Um, And I think that moment probably that moment probably hooked me on the idea of um, yes, it's cool to see an animal and to check them off and say, I've seen in Africa safaris, there's a thing known as the big five. So checking off the big five is, is something that a lot of people going for the first time want to do this moment with these leopards was kind of like, okay, I, I saw the leopard, but that's not what was epic about it. It was the behavior of watching this leopard walk along its territory, something piques its interest. It it goes on the chase, misses um, another leopard, which again was was very lucky to see. But another leopard crosses over. You have an a, an epic bird flying across the road. So the behavior of these animals in those moments that that is what hooked me, and um, that's what continues to keep me going. Because spent a lot of time with lions, with leopards, with elephants, things like that, and there's a reason it doesn't get old. The reason is you never know what you're going to see next. You never know what sort of odd behavior that you're going to witness, what sort of, um, you know, what sort of, what sort of thing you'll see. So it's, it's, it's truly addicting for me in that sense to, to be out there and spend that time with them and, and, you know, have the privilege to really watch them in their natural environment and, and, and see them behave how they would you know normally behave. Um, how they, how they try to survive, how they care for each other, um, all of those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty special leopard moment for me, that first one.
0: Yeah, and it's, there's got to be, you know, a lot added to it by being in an austere jungle environment. It's hot, it's humid. You're, you're pressing yourself physically to be there oh. in that moment. And just the fact that you got to enjoy that with people who shared your enthusiasm for photography – and for this kind of adventure, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and they're they're you know, they're the, the couple that I'm that, that I'm referring to is, you know, just like um you know, just like other travels that I've had, I mean they're people that I still keep up with and um and still still chat with on Facebook from time to time and um and, and all that. And they're they're people I've, I've met for three days, you know, and um and and, and that tends to be i i know you've you've traveled a bit as well and, and i don't know what your experience has been but my experience with 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 travel has been that you you tend to develop connections with people a lot quicker and 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 you tend to <laughs> i guess you skip all the bullshit if you will and you 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 don't have this um you know you don't have as much of maybe a front as you as you would put on in your day to day business life or your day to day you know life and so you 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 scrape all that away and you, you get to know somebody and, and for a few days and then the next thing you know they're you know there's somebody you keep up with for the rest of your life. And and I have multiple, multiple um you know, a number of friends like that that people I traveled with for two days, four days a week and, you know, they're people that I plan and hope to see again. Um but it's it just it's wild how that works out when you're you know when you're in those locations when you're outside of your comfort zone outside of your 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 home state or your home city um you know how how friendly and amazing people can be that you meet along the way
0: yeah very well said i've had similar circumstances like that and to me uh when you get out and about you find your tribe and you connect with people who
1: can be part of that tribe no matter where you are sure no absolutely absolutely and it's uh yeah and it's it's um its It's certainly a refreshing <laughs> a refreshing thing to to see and to keep in mind when you're not traveling that um you know i think we 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 certainly have um somewhat shied away from that person to person connection uh in in a lot of ways or, or i say person to person the sense of you know looking at a stranger ne- looking at somebody next to us as as a stranger these days and not approaching them and not trying to understand them and and i think you know for me travel has always been that um that thing that breaks down those barriers takes you out of your comfort zone, you know, um, doesn't force you to, but it encourages you to, to, to to look at people and look at things differently. And, and I think softens you a little bit to the fact that, um, yeah, not everybody that disagrees with you is an asshole and not everybody that, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, so true. It, it just, it's just, it's just uh it's just this situation these days where we're just you know we're so tied to our social media accounts and 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 that's that's how we tend to form opinions about um about people as a whole and um so for me travel has certainly been something that has kind of broadened my perspective on that and it's um yeah i think it's been been a valuable tool for me uh to remind myself that (laughs) You know, it, it's we're better off when we try to understand each other versus, um, you know, versus versus shouting at the screen. Um, and uh, and then if I get too frustrated, that's why I'm taking pictures of wildlife. You know, I can just I can just get away and go <laughs> and go spend time with animals. Uh, they're far less complicated. Well, so, let, let's
0: be uh, let's be honest with the audience. When you travel abroad, you have a huge advantage being a Texan. People love Texans all around the world, and when you're introducing yourself you're obviously going to let them know that you're a Texan because that's your duty and responsibility as a Texan is first things first. (laughs) And you're going to, and I think because of like the Southern charm, Southern hospitality, whatever you want to call it, I think we're, we're very open to meeting and uh, interacting with people abroad because it's in our nature to be welcoming and and friendly and ideally authentic.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, uh, funny that you mentioned that because I, um, I won't dive into any sort of political stance here, but, um, but I, I definitely, let's just say I, I, um, a hundred percent would introduce myself as David from Texas. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and you're right. There is a, um, you know, Texas has a reputation for being kind of larger than life and, and 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 i think uh there's a fascination with texas that um you know certainly extends well beyond you know its borders um and so uh introducing myself as david the texan got um certainly got a lot of uh most and mostly positive but a curious reaction uh interested reaction to it and um and yeah i think i'm known as you know I, being in south africa these last basically the last couple of years i've done my part to try to introduce texas barbecue to them um nice. to to smoking you know to smoking to slow smoking meat as opposed <laughs> to burning it over a fire gotta smoke and, those meats um, yeah you know got got to and uh yeah so i there's certainly um uh, and it's interesting like i i when i go abroad i find myself um you know i, I I find myself appreciating things about Texas that maybe I would have taken for granted. And that, and that I'm sure that goes, that's true for anybody, anywhere. You spend a lot of time in one area and in the same place, you tend to overlook things about it that you may have initially loved or enjoyed because you just, it's just there all the time. And so having left Texas and, and, you know, um, and, and and worked in other areas and traveled in other areas um, I'm back right now for for the next month or so um and you know I realized how much I miss the Texas coast and how much I miss things about San Antonio and and Austin and um I think sometimes it's only when you're away from it you realize you know maybe I was taking it for granted a bit so um no I'm 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 definitely enjoying my time in Texas while I'm back and eating all the barbecue and you know, trying to catch all the fish I can. So well, while you're fun.
0: while you're abroad, you know, you should steal Matthew McConaughey's moniker, which is the uh, the minister of culture. You are definitely the minister mm. of Texas culture while you're abroad, and you know, i.e. ambassador of Texas.
1: <laughs> I, I need to I need to buy some more. Uh, I need to buy more clothes with Texas hats on them. I feel like, or at least some koozies to take over to South Africa when I head back. Well, I, I've got to get them. I've got to get them sold. But I think there. I think there's quite a few. Quite a few of my friends over there that are that are sold on making it this way when they when they come stateside after after all this uh, this craziness is over. You need like uh, a, a soon.
0: you need like a Yeti store in South Africa.
1: Oh, I I rock my Yeti gear all over South Africa. I've got my I've got my I've got my gear, but um, but I, yeah, I, I'd love to be I'd love to be a Yeti ambassador over there. I think I could uh I think I could help them out a bit in South Africa because. I think it's like Hydroflask that has the, has the market cornered there at the moment. So we need to, we need to change that. Well, what's so funny sure.
0: anytime I, you know, pre COVID anytime I traveled abroad, there's two things I always had in my bag. It's my cowboy boots in my Yeti, whether it's a Yeti flask or, or a Yeti, <laughs> you know, tall container. We love our Yetis here in Austin. And, you know, I'm a big fan of them. I've, I probably got way more than I will, than I need, but there's always room for more when it comes to Yeti. products. A
1: hundred percent, a hundred percent. I've, and I've, I've, I've beat mine up quite a bit, which is, which is, you know, you know, you're doing it right when you're, when you're, when it looks like it's been out and used and not sitting in a, in a cabinet in your kitchen. So um, no, I think I'm, I'm, I'm trying to trying to do it justice by, by beating it up and, um and taking it everywhere I go. So yeah. If you're, uh, if your Yeti it, doesn't
0: have battle scars, you're living too soft. You got to get uncomfortable. You got to get out there.
1: 100%. Yeah. The, the, I think the one I had, I, I I had to get a new one. I, I lost one of them, unfortunately, but I had to get it. But I, you know, when when the colored uh, coffee, um, you know, coffee mugs or whatever uh, start to just look silver at a certain point, you're like, all right, yeah, <laughs> I've got this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it right for sure. Yeah, that's, so,
0: that's how all mine yeah. look right now. If you, That's why <laughs> I think I might just go back to straight metal when it comes to the Yetis. And by the way, Yeti is not yet a sponsor of this program, but. All, like I <laughs> yeah. I might just go back to metal because the metal holds up really, really well and it's timeless.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I, well I went with the colored one again because I, I like to show the battle scars a bit, but, but yeah, I can understand that.
0: Yeah, so you're in Sri Lanka, you're having the time of your life and then feel free to name drop. you meet these people who draw you to South Africa. Tell me about that experience.
1: Well, I, yeah, and I actually, so, so missed, missed a piece here. Um, I, when I came back, I came back from Sri Lanka from that Southeast Asia trip and that was kind of when I said, okay, look, I need to, I need to plot my next, my next move. And I kind of had this started, started to have more of a vision of what I wanted things to look like. Um, all of it was centered around photography and wildlife photography, but again, um, still, Trying to kind of keep the pressure off myself um, at this point, and just enjoy the process and learn as much as I can and meet the right people. Um, and so I decided that my next step was going to be India, which, uh, for a number of reasons that I won't dive into, but India was a place that fascinated me. It chall- it, it challenged me just even thinking about traveling there, um, and it has some of The more spectacular wildlife, um, that you'll see in the world. So, um, yeah, I decided I'm going to spend five months in India and I'm going to try to see, um, try to see as many different parts of it as possible, not just, not just wildlife, but, but see, really kind of experience it as much as I can. Um, yeah, as part of that, uh, there was a, um, there was a specific, national park in the southern part of india um in the called nagarhole national park and um there's a photographer that i had kind of uh had really fallen in love with his work and his his, and his style of work Uh, his name is shaz young and um his uh his family owned a camp in uh just outside of that national park called the bison and so i had I had mapped out my trip, um, in that area. Uh, and one of the, one of the cats that he has made help make famous, um, is a melanistic leopard. So a black, black leopard, um, almost something you would see almost like something you would see in the, in the jungle book. And, um, so yeah, that was my, that was my goal was to, to, to meet photographers in India and to, to meet Shah's and to meet some of these other people and honestly just try to Gain as much knowledge as I I could from them, um, and so I left for I left for India in I believe September September of 2018, um, and in January of 2019, towards the end of my trip, I, I made my way down to down to Nagarhole National Park, um, and ended up doing about 17 days of safari in that in that in that park. Um, and the first day I arrived after about a 12 hour overnight bus ride, um, that, uh, <laughs> had me, uh, wanting to throw up a number of times because of the windy roads. I, I made it, uh, to, to the bison, um, to the place Charles's family owns, um, early that morning. Um, and kind of wait for my room to get ready. I'm sitting down uh, about 9:30 that morning, um, I look over and a, uh, a guy walks in, um, wearing a big national geographic, uh, sweater. And I, I had heard prior to that, that they were doing a film for national geographic about this black Panther. And my assumption at the time, um, was that Shaz was, he, he was a part of it, but that he was kind of the main guy with it. And, uh, that's when I saw at this, at this lodge, this other guy walking with his Nat Geo sweater and it kind of clicked that, Okay. There's obviously going to be more people involved with this. So I went over and introduced myself. And um, the guy I met was Russ McLaughlin, who is was uh, the, the guy, him and his wife, Shannon Wild, who I met later during that trip, um, were the two primary um, filmmakers. They were the ones that um, had been working with National Geographic to, to pitch this film and to, to, to ultimately get it made. So they had spent the previous roughly 18 months there day in, day out, documenting this cat, um, this particular black leopard. So over the next like 10 days I spent, um, on game drive. And then I'd come back and I'd visit with Russ and I'd listen to all his crazy stories. Um, we'd sit around the fire and have, you know, one too many beers and uh, then go on game drive the next day. And, uh, that, that continued. And then I, I took off and did did a two week little trip, um, with my mom. Uh, and then, she, when she flew back, I decided that I wanted to go back to the bison, uh, spend a little bit more time there, you know, catch up with Russ again. Um, and then I'd head home and, uh, I got back to the bison and Russ had left the day before, but his wife, Shannon, who I had not met, um, at that point, uh, she had come in to replace him to, to finish things off. And so I was fortunate enough to spend the next 10 days, you know, doing the same thing, going out on game drives, coming back middle of the day, um, hanging out and visiting with her. And at the end of it, the last couple of days, I just kind of decided, you know, look, this is what I want to do. Um, I realized that, you know, whether it was photography or or um, filmmaking, it was this, it was becoming obvious that this, it was the subject that mattered. So wildlife and, and telling that story or, or being in, you know, being in, in nature, being, around animals and documenting that was the more important part. So I, I, I decided, look, I want to, I want to see if there's a chance to go, to go to South Africa and, and to, to work with these people. Uh, and my expectation was that, you know, if they say yes, I'm going to be doing whatever grunt work they, uh, <laughs> whatever they need me to do, I I'd do it. I just want to go learn. I just want to go, Yeah. you know, gain experience. And so I visited with Shannon about it. Um, she kind of made, you know, she kind of gave me that look of, we have so many people ask us to do this. Uh, and then, um, you know, again, it went back and forth a bit, but, uh, but she, she said, yeah, look, we, we, we got a lot of people that look that, that want to do this, but we, we don't have the luxury of spending the time with these people. And, you know, we spent the last 10 days, her and I just, um, you know, getting to know each other and, 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 uh, having good banter and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, one thing led to another and and she asked when I could head over and I said, well, (laughs) when, when, what's as soon as you want me over there kind of thing. So that was in, uh, yeah, that was, that would have been, I guess, January of 2019. And then I ended up going over a few months later uh in may of 2019 um again with the expectation that i was going to be logging footage which i i did but i also ended up out in the field rather early helping russ's younger brother kev who's who's a camera cameraman um, and then going to namibia with russ to document wild dog pups um and then working on a cheetah film um, with another cameraman that uh found me behind the lens uh, quite a bit um, and that's when it really for me started to come together that you know I, I can do this even though I have a, a, a lot to learn and I still have a lot to learn um, that was one of the moments where I was like okay you know if I want to do this which I do and did I, I can and I ha- I'm, I'm with the right people that are putting, putting me in a position to grow into this and to grow um, and allowing me to 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 be behind the camera, to make mistakes, um, and not, you know, and actually encourage me to make mistakes, to learn from. So, um, you know, very fortunate to have met Russ and Shannon and, and and very fortunate to, you know, be working with them, be friends with them. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride um, to, to kind of get to that point.
0: Yeah, what are the odds that you would be at the right place at the right time to make those connections? And have the right mindset and the right work ethic. That sounds like a lot of luck to me.
1: It was rather stalkerish on my part, to be honest with you. But, uh, <laughs> so, but no, to so no, luck, so why no why luck, luck whatsoever. But, <laughs> but, but why don't why don't we just why don't we just call it luck? Yeah, we'll just we'll just leave it at luck. No, I mean it was, Quote it was definitely. I mean, it, yeah, it was definitely. I mean, look, I, I like I said, my my intention in in that trip in India was to meet photographers was to meet people doing what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so I did try to put myself in those positions. Um, I, I also didn't expect anything out of it like this. Um, I didn't expect to be in South Africa working, you know, working on projects for, you know, some of the biggest companies out there. That was not, that was not the intention. Um, so I would certainly consider that lucky. Um, but, but I think I, I think that mindset of, of again keeping myself open to to meeting these people, to to asking questions, to learning from them, to genuinely building, you know, friendships and connections with these people. And I think that that was, um, you know, that was ultimately uh, what kind of allowed me to ask that question, can I come and, and work with you guys, and ultimately led me to, to being in South Africa and, and not only working with them, but again, having very close friendships with uh, with, with all these people that are involved with, with the two of them. So it's been very special, for sure.
0: How did the local people respond to you who live in these environments where, you know, nature oh, and on. conservation is a very touchy subject? Were they very welcoming of your efforts there, or
1: what was their response? Um, I mean, so I guess, I mean, in India, I, you know, I, I mean, the hat I was wearing in India was not, was just tourist. So my, you know, my, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there was any, I don't think there was any view on me at all. I think it was just another tourist passing through. Um, but you know, India is certainly a, a unique situation in that, um, it's, and, and you know, I, I don't claim to know everything about it, but but this is just more of what I saw with my eyes and then heard from heard from people that that spent far more time in that in those areas than I did. But um, one of the things that really stands out, India's you know population is huge. Um, I think what like 1.6 billion people, and so you have densely densely populated areas. Um, I mean, you drive from some of the bigger cities out into these rural areas to these national parks, you will see a person every few seconds. Like, it's just, it's, it's just something we don't experience population density wise in in the States and certainly not in, in Texas. Um, and so that, that really stood out. And then with that population density and, and increasing population, people need places to live. And so what ends up happening is people push further into wild spaces um, and that results in habitat loss. That results in animals not having a place to go. Um, and so that that human wildlife sort of conflict um, between what was very noticeable and it was noticeable while I was there. Even in the short period of time I spent in that park, there were incidences where where tigers were, were leaving the park because population, the tiger population is increasing in India. Tigers are not, you know, they're not animals that, um, they're not pack animals. They, they are territorial animals. And so if, if a tiger gets kicked out of a territory or kicked out of, you know, of being with its, with its mom, it has to go find uh, a territory to, to claim. So, in the case in the case of tigers they're starting to push further and further back into or encroach back i say encroach but they're starting to move at times into these buffer zones between the national park and and cities where you know where villagers live and things like that so there there is a huge amount of conflict with tigers killing people and then farmers and and villagers killing tigers or poisoning them or you know trying to trying to retaliate or keep you know keep themselves safe. Um and that was something that was very obvious while I was over there. And it's it's kind of become and it continued in South Africa. I mean the 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 that loss of habitat to me seems to be the probably the biggest issue with wildlife conservation um that that's out there. I mean I'm down at the Texas coast right now. I'm sure you spent time down here as well. But you know, I'm I'm looking I'm looking around at the moment and right on the right on one of the like waterfront properties, a Starbucks went up and there's a Hampton Inn going up and then there's a huge commercial lot for sale. Um, all on habitat that would have been, you know, used for birds would've used for nesting. Um, so that's it's just loss of habitat everywhere. And India was really where that became I think my parent for me, but, um, but the locals response to me being there again, it was non-existent because I was a tourist at the time.
0: Nice. That's good to hear. Yeah. We've got, you know, tigers, as you know, Texans have a great fondness for tigers as I'm sure you're aware. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's, that's a really great way to break it down because I think, you know, we went through this huge snowstorm here in Texas and habitat and where you live, you know, food, water, shelter, the three basic things in life that you need that applies to animals as well. That's not just for human beings. And I think people forget that.
1: Have you seen the, uh, have you seen in San Antonio, the, Hardburger Hardberger park that they, you know, voted to put up this, this land bridge that connects, um, the park was divided by Wurzbach parkway. So it's, it basically divided the, the habitat of the, of the park into two smaller areas. And then they voted to put up this this um this wildlife land bridge over the over the park connecting the habitat. So, you know, there's there's small things like that, that um certainly feel like small victories here and there. Um certainly in South Africa, uh one of the big things that is, is happening, and one of the big pushes that's happening with Kruger National Park, um, and then the surrounding uh private game reserves um that are that surround Kruger. Uh, it's the removal of fences. So um, it used to be that all these private – Kruger was fenced off and then these private reserves around Kruger had fences around them. Um, And then, you know, forces that be and and all that started – they started encouraging dropping of fences, so removing fences. And basically that results in this much larger single – habitat for, for these animals, this larger ecosystem for these animals to exist in. And so, you know, hopefully um, that's a trend that, that, that continues because if, you, if the habitat and the ecosystem is there um, and you allow for, for animals to do what they do, populations, tend, populations of animals tend to balance themselves out. They tend to, 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 to take care of themselves. Uh, whereas when you fence things up or you fragment habitat like that, um, then people have to come in and manage it. Um, same goes with Texas and deer populations in Texas, I assume, are pretty similar. You know, you have fences up, you have to manage the deer population, um, same goes in South Africa. So it's, it's um, you know, I don't certainly don't claim to be an expert on this subject, but it is just based on observation. It seems to be the one common theme everywhere I've been when it comes to, um, you know, what's, what's driving, uh, I guess what's driving this, you know, decline in numbers with certain animals and, and things like that. It's just pure habitat loss.
0: Yeah. And speaking of habitat loss, do you mind sharing with me the story where you assisted with helping to preserve rhinoceroses or rhinos?
1: Yeah, so there's, um, so the the town that I called home base in in South Africa is a little town um, on the outside of the greater Kruger National Park area called uh, Hootsprit. And um, I, so this is 2019, um, I had been mostly out in the field uh, filming at that point, um, and then came back to Hootsprit, got settled a bit, had some downtime, and, and started to meet, um, started to meet quite a few people in the area and, and realized that, you know, most of the people were involved in tourism centered around safaris, uh, and wildlife conservation. I mean, that was, that was the, that's the kind of the bread and butter of this town. It's, it's all surrounded by wildlife and that's what people are passionate about. So, um, I, I, uh had been introduced to a few different people, one of them being uh, this guy Joe Peterson and his brother Willem. Um, They owned a little uh, safari camp uh, just outside of town, but also ran a a nonprofit um, conservation organization called Encumbé Rhino. And one of the things that they did was basically, one of their main purposes is basically helping to fund conservation efforts. So that includes rhino dehorning, it includes collaring, uh, of, of different animals to track and monitor them, um, removing snares from different animals. So it's basically just anything conservation oriented in that area. They help fund, um, raise money and then fund that, you know, cover the cost of, of these different procedures. So that cost, cost of the helicopter cost of, you know, the team going out, all those things. So, um, anyway, I, was having a very quiet day, um, and got a call from Joe about, uh, about them going out to do this dehorning, a rhino dehorning, uh, that day. And so he said, look, Dave, I you know, love for you to come out and film it. Love for you to come out and be a part of it. Um, but I need you to be ready in 30 minutes. So, okay. So I checked all my camera gear, a couple batteries were fresh. A couple of them were flat. So look, I'll make do with what I can. Um, Luckily, had enough battery to get through everything. But Joe picked me up, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later. We went over to uh, to uh, the little um, to the hangars where the helicopter was. And um, there's a guy, Jerry McDonald, who's a uh, extremely talented um, bush pilot, helicopter pilot. And uh, so got in this helicopter. Never been in one before. Um, but uh, we flew out to the reserve where uh, the, the dehorning's. Uh, we're going to take place, um, which was a, a very cool experience in itself. Um, flying over, you know, herds of wildebeest and other rhinos that had already been dehorned, and elephants and things like that. Uh, very cool vantage point. But um, yeah, my we, we landed. The whole team, including vets, you know, assistants, helicopter pilots, all that kind of got together and went through the plan of uh, of dehorning these these two particular rhinos. It was a mother and a calf. And, um, so once that was in place, uh, Jerry, the helicopter pilot flies up with the vet. Um, they basically, um, using the helicopter, they will corral these, these animals into a safe space, um, and, and then dart them. So they'll, they'll tranquilize them and then they land and the rest of the team all swoops in. And it's, it's a very, very, um, Organized and kind of methodical process that, the, that these these experts have been through hundreds of times at this point. But watching and documenting a iconic animal like a rhino having its um, horn chainsawed off, uh, which which just so you don't get hate mail as well, it does not hurt the rhino. Uh, it's uh, a rhino horn consists of uh the same material it's basically like trimming a fingernail um consists of a lot of the same um same material i guess you could say uh and it grows back within 12 to 24 months typically so the rhino dehorning process is just a is just a temporary measure to deter poachers from killing a rhino for its horn so if a rhino is dehorned today in a year to two years it'll typically have to be dehorned again so it's not a solution To rhino poaching it's just a preventative measure but watching you know like i said this iconic animal um being put through this in an effort to to ultimately save its life um it it certainly sticks with you and it certainly makes you realize that um you know that (laughs) i guess that we're doing something slightly wrong when this is, the, this, this is the effort we have to go through uh, to, to save an animal as iconic as a rhino over something as valueless as your fingernail because someone in China or because people in China, you know, think it's valuable for, for whatever reason. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's certainly an eye-opening experience. It's certainly one that I wish more people could go through outside of just going on a safari in, 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 Africa, go see that side of it and go see what efforts these people are going through to, to try to save these animals and, um, and see that whole picture. And that's, that's what that did for me. It, it, it gave me a glimpse into that world, um, and, and into the efforts that go into, um, you know, that go into, um, trying to preserve what's left of that, that species, which is, um, you know, which is, which is somewhat heartbreaking, uh, that's where we're at. But, but ultimately it's the reality. Yeah.
0: Very well said. Is there anyone out there that you want to work with that you haven't worked with
1: yet? Um, I mean, right now, you know, right now I'm, I I find myself in this position where, um, not to say skip step steps, but, um, I, I'm certainly, um, you know, I'm certainly still at a point where I'm more focused on, on learning um, and and gaining experience and being out in the field as much as possible. Um, you know, working with, um, you know, right now my focus is really working with this team that we that we have in South Africa with Russ and and a few other guys, Russ and Shannon and a few other guys, um, and learning as much as possible from them. That being said, uh, there is. Um, I've, I've also shifted my focus—not my focus, but I've shifted some attention back to, to Texas, um, uh, as we've talked about. You know, it's uh, my roots are in Texas, and 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 I, and I love it here. Uh, it won't be home permanently, but it will be a home base at times. And so, um, yeah, there, there's a there's a few there's a few filmmakers in Texas that um that I've I've followed on social media that released a few films. Uh one recently here on PBS about Big Bend, um, which was which was a cool glimpse into, you know, the wildlife in, in Texas. So Yeah, the Chisos uh, Mountains. I think Yeah. No, it's it's you know, I'm I'm like I said, I'm down at the coast right now and the bird life is stunning. And, you know, if you go to the right places and have access to the right places you can get um, you know you you can see some incredible incredible wildlife um there's actually uh just north of san antonio um there's bracken caves i don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's uh one of the largest mammal migrations in the world the F- Mexican free-tailed bat and I think there's millions of them that come out and it's supposed to be just an absolute spectacle so and i I honestly it, this is this is hard <laughs> this is uh Uh, a bit ashamed to say this, but it's not something I was very familiar with until um, very recently. And um, so to me, it's things like that. Again, it goes back to not trying to, if I'm going to spend time in Texas, which I plan on continuing to do, you know, there's so much to explore here as well. And so when I spend my time here, who are the people that I can meet and and where are the places that I can explore? So um, yeah, it's not anybody specific, but I think it's just again, not taking for granted what we have in our own backyard. This is kind of the way I'm looking at
0: it. Yeah, very true statement. Yeah, that's a truism. Uh, I always like to give my uh, guests a chance to have the last word. So is there any advice or knowledge or wisdom that you like to bestow upon the listeners today?
1: <laughs> um, that's just putting me on the spot. Um, I, I, Yeah, I would go, I, honestly, I kind of go away from, you know my specific experience with with wildlife and with with what I'm doing now, and kind of look back on more the um, more the transition I made from um, from from business I was in, which which again was in for ten years, and um, it wasn't you know it was a business that for a long time was 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 great. Like I I, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed the people I was working with, um, but there did come a point where it was not serving me anymore, or not serving I guess that true purpose that I felt like I, 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 I needed to pursue at that point. Um, so that transition between business owner and spending time really trying to figure out what I, what I want to be doing. Um, I think I, 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 think there was about a year period, a year and a half period where I was afraid to leave the business because um, I didn't know what was on the other side. Uh, I, I, even though I was uncomfortable or rather, even though I was unhappy, I was comfortable, (laughs) if that makes sense. And, and I was making a decision to stay in that business based on fear of what was on the other side. Um, That aha moment in Belize where I was like, look, I can do this. I don't know exactly what's on the other side, but I can do this. Um, That decision to leave the business really came more out of, um, more out of a position of, I guess you could say, love for myself than than fear of the unknown on the other side. And and fully embracing that change, fully embracing that change for me and saying, yes, it's scary. Yes, it's, I don't know what it's going to look like in three or four years, Um, but embracing that unknown, um, and, and keeping my, you know, and, and, and keeping, I guess you could say keeping my vision as clear as possible to pursue things that I'm passionate about, um, has kind of led me to some pretty wild places and, and, and pretty, pretty amazing, you know, pretty amazing point in my life. And so I guess, I guess I would, I would just kind of urge Whoever's listening to, yeah, to, to, um, not make decisions like that based on fear, which is what I was doing. And, and again, it, it led me to, to, um, ultimately make a change and then pursue something I love. But, but, um, but it, it, it kept me at a standstill for a lot longer than, than I probably should have been. And, and that shift to making a decision based on, you know, love for myself and and what I truly want to do, has led me to you know this incredible place in my life.
0: And that's a great place to call it, David McLaren, ladies and gentlemen. You can find his work on Instagram, LinkedIn, and also look for his work coming soon to your television and to your website. Uh, David, again, thank you for coming on. Wonderful guest. I think you're a true inspiration to not only people here in Texas, but people around the world. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been a real pleasure today.
1: Dan, I definitely appreciate it, man.